Guidance comes in many forms, and sometimes it arrives in the least expected of ways, so it can take a little time to figure out its meaning. There are many of us who notice that numbers regularly appear in particular sequences on clocks, phones, checks, or receipts. This is simply the universe's way of communicating with us through signs and synchronicity. The number two is the most feminine of all the numbers, and its vibration resonates with the vibration of joy, balance, and peace. It relates to the desire for love, health, harmony, and happiness within all relationships. The person who sees the number 22 is a master builder. The number 22 is possibly the most powerful and successful number to receive as a sign, as it means that we can master anything we set our minds to. The number 222 carries attributes of both the number 2 and 22, so it is an extremely powerful number to receive. 222 appears regularly when we're being asked to pay particular attention to our friendships, relationships, and to certain people whose names appear suddenly or we bump into unexpectedly. When we witness the number 222 around the same time as we see or hear about a person, they likely have an important message for us, or their presence is in our life because of a profound meaning. Therefore, we're being called to open to them to discover what the connection has in store for us. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Monday, September 11th, and today on this SyncBook anniversary, we'll connect with the number 222 by by connecting with the film of that same number. Yes, today for 42 Minutes, we have the pleasure of meeting writer and producer Todd Stein, who developed the story and wrote the screenplay for the film 222. How are you doing today, Todd? Oh, I'm good, Doug. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Well, let's start with the most compelling curiosity surrounding the release of the film. And I know my listeners will probably get a a kick out of this. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. It just it it if the internet is to be trusted, the the same day that two twenty two was released, Jay Z released four forty four. Have you heard that before? Yeah, that, yeah, that was that was pretty funny. I got an email from my director actually, and uh, yeah, he said he said our marketing worked out really well then. <laughs> <laughs> so then you d- developed the story for this film. Is that correct? Yeah, um, I I wrote it. Uh, it was actually the first uh, the screenplay that broke me into the industry, and uh, I wrote it. I wrote it. Actually, the idea came to me. I had had uh, um, a brain tumor, a benign brain tumor, in 2002, and about a month out of brain surgery, um, I was I was sitting outside, and um, an airplane flew low overhead, and I thought. Oh, it's 11.15. That airplane flies low overhead every day at 11.15. And right then I looked and my neighbor came out and she waters her sunflowers. And I thought, oh, that's so funny. She does that every day right after the airplane flies overhead. And then right then my mind split into two. And one side said, well, you know, that makes sense. You know, she has her rhythm and, you know, the flight, flight patterns have their rhythm. 
and then I thought, yeah, but what if something else is happening entirely? And what if the universe is opening itself up and showing me a pattern, showing me a message? And at the time, my brain was still real discombobulated from the brain surgery. So I just went with that. And that's, that's where the story originally came out. So, uh, yeah. That's really interesting because oftentimes it, the thing that opens up our filters to these kind of synchronicities is, is something that compromises our ego in some way. You know, so mm-hmm. like, like a brain tumor would definitely be something that would like thin one's filters. Did you, yeah. did you recognize I- more synchronicities during that time period or? Well, well, what happened, you know, it's interesting. The, the surgery was on the left side of my brain um, where they actually had to, you know, they had to pull the tumor off the uh, auditory canal, but they had to literally clamp my brain for nine and a half hours. And after the surgery, what I found was my right brain activities became really enhanced, my creativity and my intuition. Yeah. And my left brain was trash. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I couldn't file, I couldn't organize. So, um, you know, in that way, that, you know, after, after that surgery, I literally felt like I had been reborn. You know, everything, I remember, uh, you know, I, I woke up and they give you your first little piece of ice cube, you know, to, to, and it was the most incredible thing I'd ever tasted in my life. And then in the morning, they gave me a cherry popsicle, and that blew the ice cube out. You know, like, yeah. oh, my God, this is, I, I was saying to my wife, you have to try this cherry popsicle. <laughs> it's the most, you know, and everything, it was literally like a rebirth where, you know, I, I left the hospital and I saw a billboard and it was just, it was a no smoking billboard. It was just a random billboard in San Jose, California. And it was huge and it was incredible. And the letters were so amazing. You know, it was, everything was like that. So, uh this this story came out of that space where yeah there every there the ego was really you know really minimal um everything was immediate i i had no memory basically and um and uh so then when i started when i had that thought i just sort of rode with it and you know, when you're when you're writing and the and the story's going well, you sort of just see it unfolding, and you're sort of more of a transcriber than anything else. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it really sort of took that form. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because essentially, you're you were experiencing the world as com- completely sacred. Where you know, so it, the left brain minimizes because it's more of a survival mechanism, but, you know, the right brain is a celebration of life on some level, mm-hmm. too. So, like, the mm-hmm. numinosity of a no-smoking billboard is pretty miraculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when was that? How? And then how, what about reintegration of your, your left brain? Well, it's, it's... Honestly, it's only come back somewhat i'm definitely much more right brain dominant now uh that was in uh that was in 2002 wow and uh so i wrote so i wrote 222 and um and then it's actually it it had sold to uh first it sold to a independent company called gold circle films and 
you know, when you, when you actually, when you sell it, you, you option a film, you don't actually sell it. So a studio will basically rent it for 18 months or 36 months and try to put the package together with the financing and the actors. And then if they can't make it, you, the rights revert back to you. So, uh, so gold circle had the film and they got close, but they couldn't line up the cast and the financing. So I got it back. And then in 2005, um, DreamWorks, uh, bought it or optioned it with, uh, uh, Alex Kurtzman and Bob Orsi, who were writers and producers, um, attached as producers. And then, and then each time you option it, the studio will then have you rewrite it based on their notes and so on and so forth. And then they, uh, DreamWorks was bought out by Paramount at the time. So then they ended up not making it and I got it back. And then the third time was when a small independent company called Lightstream Pictures, um, optioned it and Paul Curry, the director, uh, worked, he was one of the principals at Lightstream. And then we were developing it from, uh, 2009 or 2010. And it's just, it's so hard to get independent films made, but he just kept, he just said, you know, I'm, I'm going to make this movie period. I don't care how, I don't care when. And, uh, sure enough, you know, he was able to do it. When you have a script that's optioned, could you explain that? So I'm just really curious about that. Do they do you, do they pay you a little bit of money so that they they can have it and you retain that money no matter what, or is it how, how does that work? Yeah, the way it works, and there's there's writers guild minimums, so they pay you you know a, a small amount to option the film, uh, and and you get that money, and then they have to pay you to do at least one step on the project. So either a rewrite or a polish, because anytime anyone options a film, they have their ways they want to change it. Sure. And uh, so uh, the core of 222 literally stayed exactly the same from 2003 until it was shot. But it would evolve, you know, at, at Gold Circle. When I originally wrote it, there was no air traffic control and Dylan was an artist who saw patterns. Uh, and then, and then when DreamWorks got it, they actually, they were trying to fill a slot in their, um, in, in their, in their slate. And what they wanted to fill a slot, they needed a thriller for the fall and they wanted Dylan to be female. So I actually rewrote it when DreamWorks options it with Dylan as a female and then Lightstream got it and they said, no, 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 we want Dylan the guy, but we want to add, we want to make him an air traffic controller because we're afraid if he's an artist, it'll make it too much of an art film. It'll limit the audience. And we love the idea of an air traffic controller being connected with the stars and you have the, the stars at Grand Central Station and the patterns and the synchronicity and, you know, being in the flow like an air traffic controller has to be. So for them, that's when I rewrote the beginning um, with a, a Nathan Parker came on for a little bit to, he actually did the air traffic control piece. And so then, you know, and then, and then you're continually rewriting it. Paul and I probably went through maybe 30 drafts of, you know, tweaking this and tweaking that. 
And then, um, and then after I finished and, and he got the financing with Screen Australia and was putting all that together, they then brought on another writer down in Australia to do a, an, an uncredited polish where they added some of the backstory. So it's really just this, you know, a, a screenplay, you know, is never done. They say if you, want, if you want it to be done, write a book and then it's published and then it's done. But with a screenplay, it's always evolving and always changing as um, producers come on and as actors come on and literally, um, and then I went down there to Sydney uh, a week before we started shooting and we were rewriting up until the day before we started shooting. I mean, it just goes on and on. And so then this is a New York film with uh, really, you know, quintessential New York landmarks, but did, did part of it film in, in Australia? Or we shot... We shot the entire film. Uh, well, actually, we shot 30 days in Sydney, and then um, and and recreated Grand Central Station in uh, their largest soundstage at Fox Studios in Sydney. So, uh, the Grand Central you see in the film is they built the floor and they built the the ticket windows, and then uh, everything else is CGI. The background, a lot of the people. Uh, there were maybe 10 or 15 actual humans in Grand Central Station and the rest are CGI and, and the visual effects. They just did a phenomenal job with it. And then um, after we shot the 30 days, Paul went with a, with a skeleton crew to New York City to shoot some helicopter shots and the exteriors and Dylan riding his bike through the streets of New York, which they literally just set up a camera on the back of a truck and had McKeel just literally winding through the streets of New York. Um, but yeah, aside from those exteriors, everything else is uh, is shot in Sydney. Before we get too far into it, could you you know briefly describe the plot for listeners who haven't seen this film? Sure, I I can try. Uh, again, it it came from my unconscious. So when people say what's it about, it's it's like I, I'm discovering it with you. <laughs> but uh, but the idea of the film, yeah, it's set in New York City, which which we really wanted to do because that's. In my mind, Grand Central Station in New York City is is the center of time and space. You know, New York is in many ways the center of the world. Grand Central Station is where the trains that go out physically meet with time. And you've got this iconic four-faced brass clock in the center of the train station, you know, where everything runs on time. So that was always really important to us. Um, but the idea is you have... Uh, Dylan Branson, who he's an air traffic controller at JFK, and he's living his life, and he just he's he's never met anyone his he's connected with. He's kind of a loner. He's kind of outside of the world in many ways, and he finds comfort and peace and solace in being an air traffic controller, where he's the maestro. He's in control of his universe. Everything functions in order, and there's no chaos. And then one day, out of the blue, he has this flash that's outside of space and time where just lights and visions and it just it blows his mind. And in the process, he's lost his flow and uh, he nearly causes a, a, a mid-air collision, uh, it almost kills 900 people. And he's suspended pending a review. 
and all of a sudden his his whole um, pattern and rhythm of life is broken. And in this space of openness um, and possibility, he meets a woman and they have an instant and immediate connection. And it turns out um, she was on uh, this plane that was coming in when this flash happened. This flash happens at 2.22 p.m., which is the anchor for our movie. And what happens from there is he starts um, discovering patterns um, throughout the day, hidden in plain sight, uh, a woman sneezing um, every day at 10.16, a phone ringing, a dog barking. And he starts realizing that there is something at play in our universe all around us, all the time, that is telling us something much, much greater than we normally see. And it culminates every day at 2.22 at Grand Central Station. So essentially the plot is him figuring out, is this actually happening or is he losing his mind? And what is it? And as he falls deeper and deeper in love with this woman, the threat grows and it sort of then becomes a race to figure out the mystery of 222 um, before bad things happen, which I won't go into. Uh, but uh, that's, that's essentially the plot of the film. And what is your own relationship to synchronicity? Do you feel like before your surgery, it was something that you knew about, or is this all something that came on because of that brain tumor? Yeah, in, in, in lots of ways. You know, this this is... This is a film that is is a manifestation of my own experience and my own subconscious mind. Mm-hmm. Um, my father, and there's lots. There's it goes out in all different directions. But um, my father, um, he who actually passed away uh, as the film was shooting, um, he had an experience on February twenty second, uh, nineteen eighty one where he experienced essentially what Dylan experiences um, at the 10 minute mark of the film and the, you know, in the inciting incident where he sort of had the universe open up. He was sitting, he was in Puerto Rico with my mom and he was sitting out on the balcony and he was looking at the stars. And then all of a sudden uh, just everything, you know, the light started flashing, the stars started pulsating and he said he could see through self, you know, where every person was essentially the display of one consciousness, one mind, and he could see past and he could see future, which of course then terrified anyone he told about that afterwards, you know, who, who said, well, you know, you had a psychotic break and something's wrong with you. And so, his life was then, and then after that, he learned to sort of not speak as much about his experiences, but that's, that's where in my own mind, I think after the surgery, your mind splits in two. Um, was this a psychotic break? Was this a psycho-spiritual experience? Are they one and the same in some way, you know, depending on how ego integrates it? So, uh, you know, a lot of that is, is, what I was hoping to sort of put out there in 222. Um, 
And then uh, at, at the same time, when this happened, I had just started writing screenplays again. I was a film major, um, but I was, I was down in Los Angeles for about three years. And I ended up, I, I couldn't meet people who were happy and who were content. My, my boss wasn't, my agent wasn't. And so I left the industry after three years and I ended up going to graduate school um, at a uh, Buddhist-inspired college, and I got a master's degree in psychotherapy. I moved to a Buddhist retreat center, and that's actually where I was uh, when uh, when I had this the brain surgery and this experience. Um, so a lot of uh, Buddhist philosophy and and experience in meditation is in here too about um, about transcending time and space and uh, dualistic experience. Um, while you are still in a body, you know, following linear time and just dancing with that. So, you know, I think, I think both of those kind of combined, uh, to manifest itself through my right brain (laughs) as, uh, as the movie 222. Well, that, yeah, it seems like, so it's interesting because I think about this a lot lately for some reason, but these, this idea of a th- theophany or some kind of revelation that happens more frequently than we realize. And it seems mm-hmm. like uh, you can either start a religion <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or, you could, or you could try and turn it into art to try to come to terms with it. I'm thinking specifically of like Philip K. Dick. Like the, mm-hmm. the end of his career, it seemed like he was trying to process his own theophany or Robert Anton Wilson, similar thing where they're, you know, this thing happened to them in the seventies that they just couldn't, you know, wrap their minds around and they needed to Mm -hmm. just kind of process because it, it, it was bigger than the, you know, an egoic individual. Yeah. The numbers, how deeply, so I, I pulled something off the internet for the introduction did you guys research the idea of uh, like numerology and number syn- synchronicity and that kind of stuff or No, we didn't we didn't at all and and my father was very much into that. Um but again it was it was very much just arising from my uh from my unconscious and just just what you were saying in terms of of art and starting a religion um I think of it as as with art and science you know, you can either uh, contextualize what you're experiencing and try to wrap it within something, you know, or with art, you can put it out there just um, as it is. And in my case, it was, the name of the movie was 222. And I don't know if it was unconsciously because my father experienced that on February 22nd, which is 222, or I don't know the reason why, but when the idea came to me, I never had to think of the time or the place or the title. It was New York, it was Grand Central Station, it was 222, because that's just what it was. You know what I mean? I was just, I was just watching it, and that, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. What about... so? It's interesting. Some of the critics, it seemed like, didn't really know what to do with it, and they compared it to films like The Number 23 or Knowing. Mm-hmm. But I seem to think that it fits more into this, it's like a synchronicity love story genre. There's not a ton of films 
but like uh, the movie Eye Origins or The Fountain, uh, mm-hmm. there was a pretty good movie called Synchronicity by Jacob Gentry, that mm-hmm. where there's these um, sci-fi elements are a portion of the infrastructure supporting uh, the love story or a movie even mm-hmm. um a winter's tale was also a mm-hmm. a new york movie with stars mhm yeah and and that was in, that was a it was interesting because when uh, when dreamworks had it when a studio has a movie and the budget's going to go up and they were going to spend you know 50 to 80 million dollars on it there's a natural inclination by the executives to you have to know what it is you're saying, you know, and, and it's, it's sort of the bigger the budget, the more they need these logical anchors in. And you see it in today's movies more than ever. You know, everything needs to be explained. Everything needs to be set up and paid off. Everything needs a physical, logical, tangible explanation. And, uh, and that's what we were going through a lot of when it was at DreamWorks. And then it was really liberating because when Paul got a hold of it and he said, look, it's, it was literally just, Paul and I, and then he brought on um, another uh, producer to you know help with the logistics of filming it because he was directing it. Um, but when we had it, it was basically we can make whatever we want to make, and so so we were really in and and just what you were saying, you know, a lot of the movies referenced knowing and the number twenty three. It's just a real sort of um, uh, exterior based well it's about numbers and it's about patterns so what other movies are about numbers and patterns those are so it's like those movies and I agree with what you're saying uh, you know our intention was let's explore uh, let's just open the question to an audience who maybe never thought about this you know people they work hard they're raising their family it's a Friday night. They want to see a movie. Let's let's introduce the idea. What if the world isn't as benign as we assume it is? You know, what if, um, what what if it were actually a reflection of our own mind? What if there was actually no separation between human consciousness and we were all pieces of the same mind? Um, what if, what if linear time isn't actually the way experience works, but it's just one time, one space, endlessly reflecting out, you know, how do we put, how do we put these uh, questions out there in an entertaining linear form where you can watch a fun, interesting, exciting thriller, uh, with clues and reveals, you know, that we've never seen before. So that, that was our, you know, intention in what we were trying to sort of to, to display, you know. One of the, the really interesting elements, and I'm wondering, so you're saying from your point of view, some of this is just coming from your unconscious. What about the director's choice to use uh, in in many of the, sequences there's almost a blue palette that he's playing mm-hmm. with you know and mm-hmm. part of that i think comes from this um oh what are we you know it's kind of this computer programmed feature 
in the mm-hmm. film. But then, I mean, there's just there's a lot of blue in this film. What do you make of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, and 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 in, in a way, shooting it in Australia um, plays into this too. Uh, when we were talking about how to put this film into tangible form without it being too literal. Um, we, we would talk a lot about it being almost like um, a fever dream where he's, he's, and if you look at the film, you'll see it's set in New York and he's in New York, but it's not, it's, we would think of uh, Christopher Nolan a lot, you know, with, with, with Inception as a good example. It's like our world, but it's not our world. It's almost like an, an, an alternate version of our world might be. And that was sort of, we would talk about that being one way where we could experience a movie that takes place outside of space and time without getting into a bunch of, you know, exposition and monologues about telling, you know, we didn't want to ever tell the audience, here's our view, here's what we think, here's what's happening. But we wanted just in its visual palette to be, well, it's New York, but it's a different New York. And it's it's a big city, but he's always alone. You know, almost in, in Tibetan Buddhism, uh, obviously, you know, there's a belief in reincarnation and uh, the term bardo is the state between lives where your consciousness leaves your body but hasn't taken a new body yet. And in that space, there's infinite possibility. And we're actually magnetized to our next rebirth based on the karmic habits of our past life. You know, whatever we've created the habit of being drawn towards, whether it's money or whether it's love or whether it's, you know, whatever it is. So the blue palette and the way New York's populated and his sort of always being alone in this big city are all expressions of, of you're almost watching it like it's a Bardo experience, which again, without giving away too much of the plot is exactly where the plot, you know, heads. Hmm. It's interesting. Cause I didn't think about it as I was watching the film, but as you described that, it reminded me of uh, vanilla sky, which was another mm-hmm. kind of Bardo New York film. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is funny because, um, I, I'd have to check the dates, but the original of, of Vanilla Sky, Abre Los Ojos, yeah. I might be mispronounced, uh, was one of my favorite films. And I think I had just seen that before or after, but 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 when I was watching it, I really connected with that film. So um, you're exactly right. That's, that's exactly um, a different manifestation of the same type of film where, where you're in a world, but, but is it our world? Is it not our world? And, um, you know, in, uh, in, in our film, the way that's explored was through, uh, the character of Dylan, where you're in, you're in Dylan, the entire movie, you never, um, we have a couple scenes without him, but the whole movie is his point of view. And that was sort of the ride, you know, we wanted to take, which, which is, is this what it might feel like if you're. A, losing your mind, or B, opening up to the infinite potential of phenomena. 
Which often is the, you know, the same thing. The same thing, <laughs> exactly, right. So, that, so then the question becomes, which, which then the question moves to in the second and third act, is if you're losing your mind, what causes it to be a liberating experience or a torturous experience? And, and the direction we wanted to go with that is to the extent by which you're able to open up to it, and not cling to your prior notions of self and identity and, you know, who you are, where you are, what you are, to the extent by which you can surrender to that, you know, and simply experience without interpretation is the extent by which you'll open up um, and be liberated by it. And if you don't do it, it's the ex- if it's happening to you anyway, you know, if you're being ripped open anyway, uh, the extent by which you fight it and try to continually reconstitute your ego and yourself and your your view of everything, that's that's directly how much you'll suffer as a result from it. Well, now let's connect the movie to the larger moment that we're in. And what do you make of that where, you know, starting November 8th or whenever it was, our world seemed to move into its own bardo existence you know what do you yeah. make what do you make of your your movie as a comment of the larger zeitgeist yeah well that's that's it's a reflection of it isn't it you yeah. know it's it's uh the um in i again i i hearken back to tibetan buddhism but um there are you know three schools of buddhism there's hinayana there's mahayana and there's vajrayana and the vajrayana path is the path that works directly with energy as opposed to philosophy um, or activity, and um, in in ancient teachings, um, it was said. I, it was said in the, the I think it was the twelfth century. Um, uh, Guru Rinpoche, Padmasambhava, he was the 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 main teacher of Vajrayana Buddhism, and there are all these prophecies that Vajrayana is most appropriate in times of great upheaval. Um, and the reason being is when there's great upheaval, there's the most opportunity for, I guess, what we would call paradigm shift. That's not the, used, you know, the term used in the 12th century, but you know, the, more, the more energy that's arising, the more potential for wakefulness. Hmm. So uh, this, this, this period we're in, uh, not just, right now, but increasingly so right now, but, but this period in the last couple hundred years is considered a degenerate age. Um, and in that time, it was prophesized that this would be the appropriate time for Vajrayana teachings to spread because the energy would be so powerful and so great. Uh, just what you're saying, it's, it's, it's like the razor's edge where, um, you know, that, that, that energy can be harnessed for a new way of being, you know, which, which it does feel like it's, it's accelerating faster and faster right now. So, um, so just as we have in the movie, you know, can we open up to it? Can we use this period of heightened emotions and heightened physical, uh, volatility, you know, the, 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 uh, weather volatility really seems to be matching, 
you know, the emotional volatility, you know, we're feeling these days, you know, they, again, just as in the movie, they, they all seem to reflect each other. You know, if, if the world could, you know, display how, how what's happening emotionally right now in people and arising and opinions and, and, and everything, uh, it would look very much like hurricanes and fires and floods and earthquakes. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I, I, I tend to be an optimist and, and think that hopefully out of this, you know, we can move, we can finally, you know, we're seeing the last, you know, a rising of 20th century fear and ways of thought and, and out of it, we can burn, you know, the flames completely and, and have this rebirth of, of, um, you know, uh, sustainability and, and human connection, you know, and, and so on. And so this, it sounds like this film kind of consumed your working life for a while. I'm wondering, yeah. you know, what, what, are you, uh, what have you been working on lately? It, it, would, it, it would come and go, you know, um, I, uh, it would, you know, it would, it would, it would pop up and then pop back. And so, uh, uh, I've got a couple projects that are, that are done and out there and, and, Again, in the process of putting together the cast and the finance thing, I um, I uh, adapted a young adult uh, novel called Unwind uh, for Constantine Films, um, which uh, you know a, a lot of my projects have the same themes, and um, and uh, that it's a fantastic book, and so hopefully that will uh, get made soon. It's it's been it's gotten close a couple times, but hopefully it'll get over the finish line. And uh, and I'm writing a new uh, project, a, a sci-fi film, um, I, more more directly addressing what's going on in the world today. Um, that uh, I, I don't want to say too much about, but it's about uh, it's about our atmosphere, literally our atmosphere, and um, and uh, what would happen if there was a dramatic shift in the Earth's atmosphere and how man would evolve. And uh, so that's what I'm doing at the moment. So that's what my head's in now. But um, yeah, you know, and it's, it's in a way I feel, you know, it, this is how, you know, I process everything that's going on in the world. And um, so I, you know, I feel fortunate to be able to do that. One of the places that we end up frequently on this show is just to talk about various people's um, practice, you know, and that uh -huh. doesn't matter what they are, but it's just kind of how they interact with the universe. And then, like you said, how you process it. I'm curious, as a writer, do you, do you write in bursts? Or do you write every day? You're one of those people that needs X number of hours every single day? Or, you know, what is your write writerly practice like? Well, I, uh, I, I wake up literally every day, bursting with wanting to write, you know, that's if, if I, if I wake up to go to the bathroom a little too early, that's it. I'm done. I, you know, I have to start writing. So in the morning I just, I just get it out, you know, and, and, uh, I just write as fast as I can and, uh, I just let it burst. And then, and I've, I've talked to a lot of other screenwriters who actually work in a similar way. It's almost like in the morning you get that creative, you just get it out and then, you know, in the afternoon when you're a little bit more tired or in the evening, that's when I'll sort of go back and clean it up or refine it or throw it away, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know, yeah. you, you throw, you throw, you know, I'd probably throw away 10 times what I keep. 
Um, and you know, that's when I sort of do the, the, the work, you know, where you, you organize it and you structure it and you do your research or whatever you have to do. But the morning is just get it out there. And, uh, yeah, I, I, for me, it's the type of thing where I have to force myself to stop, you know, so I, so I have a life. Um, otherwise it would just keep going and going. And screenwriting. I'm just curious, what is it? I mean, so it, that, that's what, what calls you then? Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's funny because as I said, I, I got a master's degree in uh, psychotherapy. Um, I think I said that I forget, but, but, uh, you know, I, I thought I would, you know, I, I wanted to help people and thought, Oh, that's a good way to help people. And so I had my concept of what I might want to do. Um, but I, uh, I just love writing and, um, and with screenwriting, you know, with television, you really have to stick in the structure of the show. And, and with screenwriting, you can just go wherever your mind takes you. And um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's satisfying in a way. And I can't tell you why, but, you know, can't fight it. Well, speaking of the, the fires burning away the egoic dross is there still smoke in portland or you know it it cleared up it was i I literally woke up with ash all uh, we had the windows open and i woke up and i was covered in ash and the bed was covered in ash and my nightstand and my water um it was it was really bad um we've had a couple rounds this summer where it was really bad it's it's sunny and beautiful right now so um yeah there's just been tons and tons of fires out here Well, that was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Oh, thanks, Doug. I really appreciate it. You bet. You've been listening to Todd Stein on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com. Be sure and check out his film, 222. For more information about the SyncBook, our guest, or to check out past shows, or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast, Check out others, as currently all of the SyncBook Radio archives are free until year's end. We also feature a great search engine to help you find what you need. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. Thanks so much, and ever have a dream that felt so real you thought you were awake? You were alone, left out in the cold, clinging to the ruin of your broken home, to lost and hurting.